0: Definitively Speaking is a definitive healthcare podcast series recorded and produced in Framingham, Massachusetts. To learn more about healthcare commercial intelligence, please visit us at definitivehc.com. And welcome to another episode of Definitively Speaking, the podcast where we have data driven conversations on the current state of healthcare. I'm Justin Steinman, Chief Marketing Officer at Definitive Healthcare, and your host for this podcast. There were 4.8 billion prescriptions filled in the United States in 2022, according to Statista.com. That's a lot of drugs. While we somewhat take for granted the availability of everything from life-saving drugs to prescription cream for athletes flip The reality is that it's somewhat of a modern medical and scientific miracle that we have so many drugs available to us We are so fortunate to have so many drug development companies researching and testing new molecules devices and compounds to improve and in some cases save our lives a Key member of the drug development and commercialization process is the medical affairs professional these people nearly all of whom have a PharmD, PhD, or MD, provide crucial insight throughout the development process, helping to overcome roadblocks and figure out what's working, what's not, and why. My guest today, Steve Casey, has an interesting take, however, on the current status of the medical affairs professional. Steve believes that the medical affairs role is changing, and many medical affairs professionals are struggling to demonstrate their value inside companies. He has a unique perch to offer this opinion. Steve is the managing director at Omni Healthcare Communications, with more than 25 years of experience working inside and with companies to optimize the role that medical affairs can play in the development and commercialization of medical devices and drugs. So I'm personally really curious to hear what Steve has to say about this topic, and I hope you are too. Steve, welcome to Definitively Speaking. Hey, Justin, very much looking forward to our discussion today. Me too, so I'm excited to have you here. So before we get started, I'm pretty sure that not all of our regular, definitively speaking listeners know exactly what a medical affairs professional does. So can you just briefly explain the role of a medical affairs professional? Sure. But the first thing I'd like to do is
1: actually take it back a step and just say, you know, life sciences companies in general are not just about the product. You know, everybody thinks of them as the product. So if we think about pharma companies, we're thinking, oh, they're just there to sell product. They're really dedicated to ensuring the scientific advancement of the disease understanding and also the treatments throughout uh, the medical community. So that helps improve the healthcare outcomes as it goes on. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk, you know, you'll see how that works into what I say about medical affairs as time goes on, because medical affairs really plays a big part in that role of improving the under- disease understanding and the scientific aspects of the treatment. They really are helping healthcare providers. And uh, they, they help them by, what I like to say is they engage, they educate, and that empowers the, the provider. So if we think about that for a second, what, what we're really saying is you can put a product on the market, but if the people who are going to use the product don't know how to use it or don't know what it's good for, then the product's kind of worthless. You're not going to sell any product. And yes, healthcare or life sciences companies are in the business of selling products to make money that's how they monetize everything but really they advance the treatment and the, the understanding of the diseases as uh further treatments because of all the science that's built in so medical affairs takes that science that's been developed in the developing side
0: of the uh, drug developers and brings that forward to the marketplace but these aren't salespeople. people this shows we all heard about drug sales reps right so how does a, a medical affairs person work with a drug rep? Where, where's the line get drawn
1: The easiest way to uh, think about drawing the line is right at the launch. So launch being when a product can go to market. So the FDA has approved it to go to market and the manufacturer can then start talking about it in the marketplace. Medical affairs tends to work more before that. And in, in those areas, they're talking generally about the science of the product or the science of the disease that's going on. So if you think about a new product, a new class of drugs that's coming out, um, maybe let's take for example gene therapy. Worked on a, a gene therapy product uh, a number of years ago, and at that point in time, a lot of uh, folks, a lot of healthcare providers, did not really have a lot of gene therapy understanding or genetic therapy, uh, genetic understanding. So they they would spend maybe uh, a couple hours in their medical uh, uh, school teaching, learning about genes, but that was that was about it. Um, And they've been in the marketplace, uh, they've been treating patients for 20 years. So coming along with a gene therapy and trying to explain that to them, as far as features and benefits, they didn't understand the, the basic science behind it. So they were very uncomfortable in using something like that. So what a medical affairs professional would do is communicate to them prior to the launch so that they're really empowering them to be able to use products as
0: they come to market. So they're educating people before the product launches. Absolutely. They're educating and and informing. Got it. And do they also play a role in helping to figure out, you know, which molecules to develop more kind of the science and the development or where's their role there?
1: Yes. Thank you. I'm talking more about the commercial side because we were talking about sales and and, uh, the difference between sales and medical. Uh, But medical also extends all the way down to the development side. Um, so they're picking up insights from all the interactions that they have within the, the marketplace, learning from um, you know people who who are experts in their field, they're opinion leaders, experts. They know the science backwards and forwards. They may be at Yale, they may be at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, they may be at uh, Mayo Clinic, they may be at Scripps, but they're collecting those insights and finding way- new ways to treat patients and in, in treating diseases. So they'll bring those insights all the way back to the development of the product. And development then takes those insights and incorporates them into the the actual product that they're putting forth.
0: Okay. So then that leads into kind of why I have you here today. Because you just made a pretty convincing argument to me that these people are really important to their organizations, these life sciences companies. And yet you said to me when you were talking earlier, they said Medical affairs specialists are struggling to demonstrate their value. It doesn't seem like they would, given everything that you just said. What's going on? Well, you know, in
1: business, we look at we look at things in metrics, mm-hmm. and we look at them in terms of something that we can actually tangibly say was accomplished. And when you're looking at uh, how medical affairs goes about things, um, for instance, uh, they may be communicating out the science um, using. Uh, scientific exchange methods, like uh, a journal article or uh, communicating it out through um, medical science liaison or something along those lines, that when they're doing that, it's very difficult to say that that's leading to anything, right? Except you know that that's building the capability to use the product later on. But using prescriptions is not a way that we can look at medical and say that medical is doing their job the way that we can look at medical and say medical is doing the job is their ultimate goal is to improve outcomes for the patient. That's their goal. And that's really everybody's goal in in whether it's a pharma or med device or uh, diagnostics is get better outcomes for the patient so that healthcare improves. But when you're looking at medical and you're trying to define out where they played a part in improving the outcomes, probably the best place is in changing the clinical practice and improving the clinical practice,
0: but that's very difficult to measure. I really would, I mean, because let's be honest, what hospital wants a medical affairs professional from their favorite drug company coming in telling them how to practice medicine?
1: Absolutely, and it's not about how to practice medicine, it's how these things uh, work within, for instance, a, a disease state. If you're looking at a disease state, How does it actually work? And how does the product work within that disease state? So that improves the practice of medicine. For headaches, we'd use aspirin, for example. But nowadays, we use uh, acetaminophen or ibuprofen or uh, a number of different uh, uh, products like that. So over time, you find out that aspirin has more side effects or aspirin has more more power to it that uh, you don't want. As you learn about the disease or the, the uh, symptom that you're trying to treat, then you are able to take out those things. The developers are able to take out and modify so that they get something that doesn't have those side effects or doesn't have the broad base, the broad spectrum, and they're targeted treatments. Um, we see that a lot nowadays with uh, CAR-T therapies and things of that nature. They're very, very specific about how, where they're going and what they're
0: doing. So if they're struggling to prove their value, and I get it, like I look at my my world, right? So I work in marketing, right? And while I can influence sales and revenue, it often feels like the best measure of our marketing success is our lead funnel and how many marketing qualified leads my team can generate. But we do so much more than that, right? So I feel a little bit like the medical affairs professional myself, but at the end of the day, my boss still shows up and goes, Justin, how many MQLs you generate this month? What are the metrics that you'd recommend a medical affairs professional use to measure their success? well we're just we're
1: just really starting
0: to get a, a handle on that mm-hmm. and and how to go about that.
1: Up until now, it's been a lot of productivity. Uh, so if you took a look at uh, communications, it, it's how many communications are you putting out and and that doesn't really lead to the best outcome in what you're trying to accomplish as any any communicator knows. You can, you can cause more noise for your own important point that you're trying to make versus uh, making that point. So the more communications you put out, the more noise you cause. So in productivity, you don't want to, you know in medical affairs, you don't want to necessarily be you know, fixated on productivity. What you want is the outcomes. And if we can measure those outcomes and find ways to measure those, that's a much easier uh, and much better metric for us to use. So in a lot of cases, um, you know, I was talking about uh, publications or or, uh, communications earlier. So in in a lot of places, we're starting to look at, you know, how is that being uh, communicated? And then what kind of reaction is being seen? Uh, There are different metrics that are uh, being designed today and being used today as well. Um, There's metrics that look as is the publication being discussed in, in the social environment And a lot of social listening, looking at that type of uh, situation. But it's ways of defining what you're trying to accomplish, but not really getting to the end goal and and looking at that. I think over time, you'll see that a lot of that is going to probably be generated from things like behavioral science and looking at uh, behavioral activities. Um, So if we look at the practice of medicine and how that changes using behavioral science tools, we can do that. And um, that's something that's kind of
0: coming, I think. So it's really interesting to me because it feels weird, but I, I feel like there's definitely a parallel to what we're doing in marketing here. I look at my product marketing team and I could have the most productive product marketing manager. And if he says he pumps out, this guy's the king of data sheets and the king of flyers. But if nobody from sales is using them, he's doing a bunch of stuff that nobody cares about, right? But he might be the number one producer of flyers and data sheets, but the zero consumer. So a lot of times I measure like the effectiveness of our product marketing team, based on the feedback from our sales team, like Joe Smith over here, man, I keep using his presentation with my customers and they're the best, right? Mm -hmm. That kind of feedback where I see how many times sales has downloaded his data sheet or how many times they've sent it to a customer. I'm almost kind of measuring my customer's adoption of the team's output, if you will. Right. Do you see some kind of analogy there for medical affairs? Yeah, I, I think there is an analogy
1: there, and I think it's uh, you know the output and what you're what you're generating from, for instance, the scientific exchange. You can see that on uh, the more of the development side as well. It's easier to to measure because it's the the usefulness of the met of uh, the uh, insights that are being generated. When insights were first started uh, and and being uh, asked for, everybody was concerned about. The amount of insights that was coming in. Then it became so much, so many insights coming in that they had to find the best ones. So now we're even uh, talking about, you know, using AI to uh, parse through the insights um, because there's such a volume coming in. And I think that's part of uh, what you're going to see, and part of the challenge that uh, lays out there for medical because all the data that is flowing towards them. There's a tremendous amount of data that we, we're getting from all the digital tools that we're using and everything along those lines. They have to parse through that, figure out what's the most important data, and then be able to build what I call the scientific foundation within the um, you know the different areas that they're touching on. It's really scientific exchange, but it forms a foundation of, of content and educational material that's out there that the sales group and the commercial group and then use and point and refer to for as they go on and they talk about the features and benefits of a product and you know when to use it and where to use it. The references have to be there for the physician to be able
0: to look and go back and say, okay, they're, they're telling me the truth. So if you were to give some advice, I'll put you on the spot here, to a medical preparers guy who's going in for his performance review with his boss, what are the three metrics he should be using to justify his success? <laughs> so... I don't mean to be avoiding the question. It's
1: okay, uh, and 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 giving kind of roundabout answers, but it's hard to give, uh, you know, metrics we would normally see in a human resources type of uh, situation. You know, in a lot of cases, as I talked, productivity is being being used for that. But I think it's more about with medical affairs because of the placement that they have in the company, and and you know, we can talk about that later. That's going to grow for them, but um, because of that placement in the company, it's more about how are they interacting with the team across the company and how are they filling that gap in what I call uh, you know strategic commercialization, um, what companies are doing to be able to you know exist in the healthcare services or healthcare products uh, marketplace, even though I said we're by, uh, building the scientific foundation in the medical affairs side, and even though you want to have some a lot of separation between medical affairs and commercial because they two two different things and you you really don't want the medical side being seen as a commercial side because there's regulations about that even though they have that there's a lot of interface that has to happen on key situations but it's not an interface that says how do i how do i generate this prescription it's it's interfaces to how's this you know, medical point that you're making fit with what I'm trying to say here in a lot of cases like that. So you, you find that they've, they've got to be able to handle talking to different people, whether it's development, whether it's sales and marketing, and whether it's uh, executives, because all along the, the whole organization, people are going to want to know things from
0: medical. So you said, we want to talk about placement later. We're later now. What's placement? <laughs> okay. So the, the placement that they fall in in the in the
1: commercialization this uh, strategic commercialization I mentioned earlier is is really unique in that it's early on as we talked about it covers all the way down to uh development and it goes all the way up into commercialization so even though I talked about you know medical working up to launch they still work past launch they're still handling a lot of different things so As the launch occurs and it goes out, not everything's handled by sales and marketing. If there's an inquiry, that goes back to medical. And if it's uh, something that's uh, very medically oriented, it goes back to medical. So medical has to have that. They have to have some interface in the marketplace. They have to help out with uh, situations with payers and help the payers understand where the product fits in the marketplace, especially from a scientific perspective. They have a lot of aspects on that side of the ball but they go all the way down to pretty much product concept too. In a lot of cases, the medical could be saying, well, that's a, it's a great idea for a product, but it's not going to be used because of this, 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 and this You know, way medicine is being done. And then bringing in insights and, and having it uh, brought. But the process of bringing a product to market and actually commercial and doing the marketing and sales of it, the key element of that, Because this is, you know, healthcare is science and it's all about the science. And if you don't have the proof sources and the references clearly defined, nobody can find it. Nobody can use it. And if they can't find the science and they can't use it, they're never going to use the product. Because I don't know one HCP out there that is just going to go on the word
0: of another person that a product is good. Science matters. Gotcha. Uh 100%. So, where is the role of the medical prepares professional going then over the next 10 years? It sounds like it's quite a bit of evolution right now.
1: I, I mentioned payers. And as you, you come from the commercial side, the payers are incredibly important. Yes. And they become even more important. And they they kind of are the first cog in, in the system that you've got to figure out from a commercial perspective. And, you know, you know that when you start talking, if you've ever, uh, you know, Anybody who's ever been on the entrepreneurial side and and tried to build a company or along those lines, the first thing an investor is going to ask them is, what's the science behind the product? And the second thing they're going to ask them is, how are you gonna get paid? And that's similar to a lot of industries, it's how you're gonna monetize this, but how are you gonna get paid? And if you don't know how to do that, then you're gonna be in trouble. But getting paid is also working with the payers to get them to understand why this product is important, how it fits into the disease treatment, how the disease, our understanding of the disease, is is improving and where we're getting to. And that's why I think medical is going to become a huge, huge player in the biopharma as well as as medical device, as well as diagnostic area.
0: So I hate to keep coming back to marketing because it feels very self-serving knowing my own career here. (laughs) but it feels like a lot of what we've talked today is about like marketing. And so if a medical affairs professional is responsible for creating the story, scientific story, if you will, but a story nonetheless, that a life sciences company tells to the marketplace, where does the role of the medical affairs professional end and the role of a marketing manager begin? How do I think about that?
1: So in, in a lot of cases, it, I would pinpoint it at branding. So uh, a medical affairs will be talking about the science of the product but almost invariably they're not using a brand name in in whatever they do. They're just talking about the generic name. They're talking about the product that's being developed, how it's being developed, some cases where, and what they've found from, from that development. So it's the scientific information along there. It has nothing to do with the branding of it. It really is building that scientific foundation. Now that scientific foundation for our industry in the healthcare uh, industry is incredibly important and becomes part of the product. Yes. But in the end of the day, that scientific information, whether it's a brand or a generic, it's the same scientific information. So essentially medical affairs sets up and, and educates for both types of products, a brand and a generic because the generic is just going to come onto the marketplace and never have to do any education.
0: So almost like if I were to think about it, the medical affairs talks about the benefits of a Torvastatin and the marketing manager talks about the benefits of Lipitor and buys the TV ads and stuff like that. Exactly, yes. Interesting. You know, we talked earlier a little bit about omni-channel and again, omnichannel in my world has a very specific meaning. What does the word omnichannel mean in medical affairs?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question because I think you you'll get a different answer from everybody you ask in that uh, because it is so different in medical affairs, and the reason for that is that there's two things that medical affairs lives by, and there are two kind of compliance issues. So prior to launch, you can only be reactive, so you can only react to things that are are being asked of you. That is to say, if a uh, HCP wants to know some information about your product you can you can uh, you know talk to them about that but if you want to go out and talk to an hcp and they didn't ask you then that's promotional and you can't do that so that's the reactive versus proactive so in omnichannel you know the original way that that i've always thought of omnichannel was in a retail uh, setting um, maybe you'd be out and, and searching on Google and you, you type in that you want a, a, a new uh, keyboard for your computer. And the next thing you know, every time you go to a site, there's a Google ad over there and they're showing you different uh, keyboards that you can buy. That's omnichannel channel because they're feeding you the information and you're going to a place where, and it's in a place where you can see it, um, but it's a place where you want to be too. You want to be on that site. So you see it in that nature. And omni-channel in in medical affairs can't be proactive like that. It has to be uh, in a situation where it's almost kind of an omni-channel slash multi-channel, where you're using the different scientific exchange channels to get the information out there. Once you launch the product and you're approved by the um, FDA, then you can uh, do more of a traditional omni-channel. But usually that's uh, sales and marketing doing that anyway. So omni-channel tends to be something that's looking at trying to make it more customer-centric for the HCP or for the KOL that's going to be seeing that science. So instead of just, uh, for example, putting in, in omnichannel, what we'll do is instead of putting a, uh, just putting a um, publication together and uh, having a journal article published with the science behind it, it's also thinking and, and looking at enhanced publication content looking at things that uh, you can use, whether it's a video, uh, enhanced publication content or things that journals are now putting on and allowing uh, companies to or even not just companies individuals, authors to do, you know, where they can do visual abstracts or video abstracts of their uh, publication. they may be invited to be on a podcast, they may be uh, you know asked to do an infographic, Things along, along those nature, and, and, and those are enhanced publication content. And that's kind of, I segment that out because it's something that has to go through peer review. So it's something that is, re, is viewed at and looked and made sure that it's not branding. It's not anything along those lines. It's purely the science, right? So, but you can get that science to people who want to see it in a shorter form, and they want to get the Cliff Notes version, so to speak. On a video abstract, so it's more customer centric and and trying to get it to a point where the customer is more uh, is happier and
0: and uh, is more prone to be engaged in the science. Sounds like marketing. So I have to ask: Is there any risk that a medical affairs professional will become too commercial and damage your scientific credibility?
1: I I think in uh, the the risk I come come to on that is uh, in an omni channel setting. You know, you have this. A situation where we were talking earlier about productivity. And if you match productivity up to omnichannel and you're trying to do what we'll call more is more, and you're doing it through omnichannel, you can basically not only detract from your own message, but you can really irritate the marketplace. And that puts you in a situation where you're causing issues for yourself as well as for everybody else. So it has, people have to be very careful about how they go about it,
0: in my opinion. Your opinion's why you're here. So look, this has been great. I gotta ask one last question before I let you go today, which is how does someone even get into medical affairs? I have to admit before I started working here at Definitive Healthcare, I'd never even heard of the role. And now I have a great appreciation for how important it is to drug development, care delivery, life sciences, our, our whole economy, frankly. Who goes into this field and how do they get started? And what advice do you have for aspiring medical affairs professionals out there?
1: So I, I think that, uh, you know, in a lot of cases, medical affairs is composed of, uh, as you mentioned at the at the front end of the podcast, by scientific folks. They're, they're mostly PhDs and MDs that are um, in that area. There's a lot of masters of science as well. And then you go into affiliated fields like uh, PharmDs and, and even some PAs. But all, the, all those different areas are very understanding of what the healthcare delivery is like. Uh, they all work in that or they're all trained in that area. So that'd be the first step. You've got to have some sort of scientific understanding and understanding of you know, how healthcare is delivered and why we approach things the way we do. And I say we, but I'm talking about healthcare providers. I shouldn't lump myself in there. But that'd be the first step. The second step is if you're in that field or in, in that area already and you have that training, really, I I go to, uh, you know, different conferences, maybe uh, Medical Affairs Professional Society. I join uh, something like that. They have a lot of good educational content about medical affairs itself. Also, there's the International Society of Medical Publication Planners. And if you're interested in writing, that's a great place to learn about uh, actual, you know, medical communications and publishing and uh, publications um, because medical writers are, are needed all over the place, um, whether it's in biopharma or in um, healthcare itself, uh, all around, even even payers have medical writers on staff. So uh, those are different areas. And then there's a third one, which is uh, the Medical Science Liaison Society. And that, that society focuses on the what is called the field force of medical, the medical science liaisons. But medical science liaisons are really uh, folks that go out and discuss the science with uh, key opinion leaders, people who are uh, thought leaders in their area, whether it's uh, you know from uh, urologic cancer to uh, you know heart disease to psychiatry. Um, they're all over and they're talking to those folks, and they're they're having peer to peer conversations about the science. So if that's something that's of interest, that's another area that you might learn about and, and, and uh, be able to go in. And all three of those usually have some sort of mechanism by which they publish a job openings. So you can get on a list and, and pick those up as well.
0: Steve, thanks so much for your time today. I really enjoyed talking with you. And my pleasure. Really enjoyed it. And for all our listeners out there, thank you for listening to Definitively Speaking, a definitive healthcare podcast. Please join me next time for a conversation with Dr. Muhammad Muhadin, Director of the Cardiac Xenotransplantation Program at the University of Maryland Medical School. Dr. Muhadin led the team that did the first ever transplant of a pig heart into a human body, and his patient lived for 60 days with that pig heart. Dr. Muhadin has a fascinating perspective on how we could use animal organs to address the organ shortage in the United States and around the world. I hope you'll join us. If you like what you've heard today, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. To learn more about how healthcare commercial intelligence can support your business, please follow us on Twitter at DefinitiveHC or visit us at DefinitiveHC.com. Or maybe you should just follow us on X at DefinitiveHC. Until next time, take care, please stay healthy, and remember, please go out and hug your favorite medical affairs professional.